What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Come on in, grab a seat, grab a drink. It can be alcoholic if you are of the appropriate age. My name is Cody and I'm joined by my buddy... Lance. Lance here, who is a, uh, a Game Master, right? Uh, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes sometimes me too. I do, I do quite <laughs> a bit of it. However, I want to welcome anyone, not just, not just Game Masters, but also players or anyone who even has a fleeting passing interest of tabletop games. Maybe you've never played a game in your life, but you're interested, and that's why you're here. Uh, welcome to this episode, where we will be talking kind of about who, who tabletop games are for. I'm going to go with everybody, but we can kind of narrow that down yeah, we'll a little get, bit. We'll get there. Today's bartender is Killzog, so if you need something, go up and talk to him. Come over to the ever-burning hearth, grab a seat, get warm. It's, uh, at, least, it's at least getting colder outside, at least here for us. We're, we're, um, the winter months are coming. The winter months are coming. We do not live in one of those desert states. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so much. And, and that's why we play tabletop games, because what else are you going to do when you're landlocked in the Midwest, right? It's a fair statement. <laughs> I mean, you could play war games, I suppose. You could play video games. But it's usually nerd stuff. And I love nerd stuff. All right, so uh, I got a little bit of news for you. Uh, not me. a lot. Not a lot. Um, have you ever heard of a book called The Lord of the Rings? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. I, I believe they also made some reasonably successful films based on that book. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Were they? <laughs> were those any good? Uh, yes. Yes, they were. I, it depends on who you ask about the Hobbit ones, though. Well, yeah, those were a little more controversial, but I, I think I think for the most part, everybody enjoyed the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. I, I would agree. Uh, so in a previous episode, I, I think I talked about how there was a, uh, a second edition of a tabletop game coming out called The One Ring. Yep, I remember that. It's I out here. now. That's the news. Okay. It's that's, out it's now, out. and I've read about half of the PDF so far. What do you think? Uh, and my first impressions of it, I really like it. I would like to run it. Um, it definitely seems... It's it's by Free League Publishing, and you can definitely see their influences here. They use a lot of D6s, which is very common in all their games. As as a Shadowrun player, or former Shadowrun player, I guess, I, I like D6s. Yeah, you just... I mean, you just, just hurl... You know, Kamehameha size handfuls of those things. You have a special box full of I 20, do. I, 20 plus year old D6s. I have a box of D6s older than my son. <laughs> That's true. What you, uh, yes. Like almost twice as old, right? Yeah, no, those things have been, we have been playing with those dice. I've collected them over the first several years of our Shadowrun play, probably the first five to seven years of my gaming experience is what, what collected those dice. And they're all loaded, right? Uh, no, no, but they do tend to roll pretty well. I mean, that's probably just perception, but uh, they do they do seem to have a pretty decent roll to them. Anyways, the the One Ring has released, and I have read about the, I don't know, like fifty percent of the PDF so far. And I wanted to talk to you about the dice mechanics because I, I really like the way they do their dice mechanics. There is a D twelve, which uh, for those new to tabletop games is a twelve sided die. So there's a 12-sided die called the Fate Die, and uh, if you if you go by their special dice set, the Fate Die has the Eye of Sauron, where the 11 should be, and there is, like, the Sigil of Gandalf, where the 12 should be. Okay. Uh, if you get a... Is 11 bad? Yeah, well, yes. Okay. Yes, 11 <laughs> is bad. Um, 11 is bad, and then 1 through 10 are just their value. Okay. So if you get a 12, it makes your 
check in automatic success. Well, that's kind of different. Usually one is bad and uh, right, you but know, 12 is good, or what one and then whatever the highest number is. I had the, the same thought, but if you're trying to also have it like a 1 through 10 value, mm-hmm. you don't want like, oh, 2 is actually 1 that's and true. 11 that, is actually 10. That actually makes right? a surprising so, amount of sense. So that's why they sell, they sell special D12s that are 1 through 10 and then have two symbols on them. Mm-hmm. So if you're using your own D12s, you just have to know that 11 is Sauron. Mm-hmm. And 12 is good. And 12 is good. But whereas, so you roll this, you always roll this fate die, which if you've ever played, is it what, Savage Savage Worlds has yeah. something like that? Savage Worlds has the, um, God, I can't think of the name of it. It's a, it's the a wild very, die. The wild, the wild die. die. It's the yeah, D6 it's that you roll with everything. Yeah, no matter, it's to represent the fact that you are a hero mm-hmm. in this world. But uh, with the fate die, if you roll if you roll for a good old Gandalf, it's just a success. Because you roll the fate die in addition to a number of D6s equal to whatever skill you're okay. rolling. Uh, however, if you roll the the Sauron, if you roll 11, what do you think happens? I assume that's a critical failure of some it kind. It is not a critical failure. Okay. The D12 die just counts as zero because it's cumulative. You okay. add your fate die that to the D6s. That actually going to be my next question. So How, the D6s are cumulative D6s, rather than Yeah, the D6s are cumulative. However, uh, the, the 11, if your character is miserable, then it's an automatic failure. And you can be miserable by... So, like, as you adventure, mm-hmm. uh, the, the game takes place in the Third Age. In between the time that Bilbo has come back from uh, stealing the ring mm-hmm. and helping the dwarves. And in between that and Frodo. when Frodo and friends leave. When the Fellowship takes off. Okay. So it's, in the, it's in that Third Age time period. You know, when the darkness is rising in, in Eriador. And so, throughout adventuring, your characters can accrue corruption points or i think is what they're called or shadow points shadow corruption something along the lines of okay. that and when your corruption or your shadow points meet or exceed your hope then your character is miserable okay so it's like a status mm-hmm. and you have to spend and you can spend hope it's kind of a meta currency okay yeah so anyway uh i agree i would like to encourage well we're definitely going to give it at least a one shot or maybe a short adventure or something sometime but if you have any interest in the lord of the rings fantasy role playing so my first impression on the the on paper so far has been very positive i feel like we need to set up a one shot schedule yeah that that would be I because think. you have probably a dozen games right now that you said you want to do one shots of and yeah. squeezing those into our normal gameplay schedule has not been terribly successful i mean yeah we still work <laughs> yeah well no i know yeah we will have to, we're not being paid enough money you know podcasting to to um to not have to have jobs <laughs> so Some, maybe someday maybe yeah, someday maybe someday the dream the dream yeah um <laughs> either way yes i really like this product so far uh free league has been killing it in my opinion, these last couple, they've won multiple awards for for multiple games. Nice. So, and I bet they bet they win some awards with this one. I would say, uh, and so that's that's pretty much all the news I've got for you. Unless you have anything new? No, not really. Okay, why don't you tell me what you've done tabletop related this last week? Um. Okay. Let's see what uh, what did we do? Oh, we we finished the uh, side campaign. Well, didn't really finish it, but we we played the side campaign that our friend was running. Correct. Because you were uh, you were off doing uh, writing things. Correct. Um, and that one we um, what did we do there? Well, that more? was that was more dragon shenanigans. Right? Yeah, it was more dragon shenanigans. But I think we did mostly role playing in that particular session. Now that that has wrapped up, and you have had the opportunity to play a second class, not only a second class in Pathfinder 2, but a high-level character in Pathfinder 2, is there anything that you learned about that system from that experience? Um, 
yeah, like, once you get up to a high enough level, you're kind of doing god-tier behavior. Oh, yeah. Like, I took down a really large tree. You did, you... With, like, two blows. You cleft it in twain. It was, uh, it was, it was, and I was playing a fighter at the time, and he was swinging a one-handed axe, and one of the other players in our group was, uh, and I, I think it's just because he wasn't really accustomed to the, the kind of god-tier stuff that happens in high-end Pathfinder 2. He always plays a wizard, too. Yeah, he, so he he's does. Not, so he's he was, not used to physical he was, feats He was greatness. not, uh... He was not entirely sure that I should have been able to take that tree down in two swipes, but um, given the stats of trees in Pathfinder, I probably could have done it in one. Yeah, it's kind <laughs> of something that you have to go off based of object uh, HP, mm -hmm. and heck, um, a th like a thinner tree, uh, you just one hit. Yeah, just, just, you just down. crush that thing at a higher level. <laughs> there was a dragon sitting in the tree. I yeah. dropped him on the ground, and then I beat him to death with my axe. We did our very best, and that, <laughs> we defeated a second dragon. All right, so what about the giant robot slugfest that is Lancer? We, um, well, we did a little bit of pilot-based research where we'd kind of pulled some information about this particular uh, location. We are uh, got, sh got schmoozy with some gangs. We got schmoozy with some gangs. Uh, I got schmoozy with a smuggler. Um, get some aerial photos of the, uh, the facility we were going to raid. We are uh, still working for this kind of farming community out there. They're looking for a new place to move because there's been a lot of inter conflict intra planet conflict going on and uh they weren't safe where they were so our mission is to uh, help them raid this military facility for supplies of which we're going to get a cut of so what we did do one of our mechs has uh the ability to climb up sheer surfaces yep and we so we let her come back and start basically at the back end of the map um in order to not leave her completely hanging we put one of our assault melt mechs on a drop pod and put him basically right in the middle of the base at the end of the first round yeah that was a that was a bold but effective move yep. and then me and the uh, other guy we decided that we were going to assault the hill <laughs> yep yep you pushed you pushed the hill yep yeah which was um, an interesting I mean, experience it worked out pretty well it was a little little rough on the assault mech that that got dropped in the middle of the whole thing but he he held his own um i was especially proud of the uh taking out your sniper yeah, that was. I should have made that NPC elite, but like I've been doing, I'm not fudging anything. Yeah. So yeah, lesson learned there. Yeah, he put a he put a sniper up at the top of the hill, and I charged up there and took it out with a uh, long ranged. Uh, the cyclone pulse rifle. Yeah, the pulse rifle. That's right. Yeah, took rain, him out. I, if I'm remembering correctly, it's range 15. It's 3d6 plus something for damage. Two, one, three, somewhere in that range. It's Reli a, reliable five, so it still does five damage even on a miss, which yep. is crazy. That's the only. That's, one. that's crazy. I. Well, to be honest with you, I took it because our intel brief said that we were going to be fighting a uh, invisible dude. invisible mech, yeah, and according to the very very gamified rules that are Lancer. Um, you have a 50-50 chance of missing any target that has the invisibility trait. But any time that you miss, if you have a weapon with the reliable trait, it just does the flat amount of damage that reliable does. So like an assault rifle, for example, has a reliable of two. If you shoot at something, you're going to do two damage to it unless it has enough armor to negate that damage. With the uh, Cyclone Pulse Rifle, well, that's that's got five reliable damage on it, so I figured that would be a good uh, good counter to the invisible enemy. This is why getting intel is important, kids. <laughs> if you know what your enemies look like, you can kit your mech out in order to blow them up more effectively. Do you? Uh, what do you think of the reliable mechanic in Lancer? I mean, I, I like it because it fits in with the gamified nature of the game. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's the mechanic that I would have built, but I don't I don't know that I would have made the mechanics as, as gamified as they are, because I also don't like like according to the the rules as they are like gamified weapons that have like um, uh, 
like an explosion radius or a line damage, um, still can miss invisible targets. So I mean, literally, I can drop a mortar, a mortar, a mortar on top of a guy, <laughs> and and you know, I got still have a fifty fifty chance of missing, even though he's inside of a what? Well, no, it's nothing more. The howitzer has a a, 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 a blast radius blast like three or two. Yeah. That, See, that I can miss with that because it's a direct damage roll. So, I mean, the, I think the Reliable is just a nice cons consolation, I guess, to say, okay, yeah, the, the way that the mechanics work means that you've got a 50-50 chance of missing this guy, even if you coat the entire area he's in in napalm. Yeah, and I, th I think something that we might do on a future episode is talk about certain uh, combat mechanics and mm -hmm. compare them to, another, to each other. Well, because there is something in Stars Without Number, you guys didn't get involved with it a lot because you were in ranged, but there is something that melee fighters have very similar called shock damage, okay. which is kind of like guaranteed because to represent how dangerous well, melee and is. I kind of in my head can in the way that I play that those kind of weapons out, pulse rifles, assault rifles, is not that they're firing a single round because ammo's abstracted in that game anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's only the assault rifles never have to reload. Yeah, in it, this system. my assumption isn't that it's firing a single bullet. My assumption is it's firing a hail of bullets. And the reason that you do the two damage for the assault rifle is because if you put enough lead into a single area, you're guaranteed to hit something. Yeah, you scrape the paint at least. Yeah, so, and, you know, that's basically just there to say, okay, yes, it dodged or it got out of the way, but it still took a glancing blow. And with the pulse rifle, you're going to be doing so many bullets in such a small area that it's going to take, you know, a fairly significant amount of damage, even in a quote-unquote miss. So are you still enjoying Lancer the same? Are you starting to enjoy it more? Um, I really enjoyed the, the role-playing part of the last session, which we... we you know, when you look at Lancer, a lot of what you see is the kind of gamified mechanics. It has a very war game flavor to it when you're the fighting combat, in the, mechs, the mech combat. The mech combat does, yeah. does. When you actually do your pilot stuff, there's a lot of, like, fun room for role-playing in there, and I really did enjoy that, because I think that was the first session, not that we've role-played, but the first session where we pretty much did, like, the... Nothing but role-play. Yeah, yes. like, up until we got to the... Com I mean, we, we basically had a very long section of role-play in there before we actually got to the mech combat, and I really enjoyed that. Um, but we did we did take out all the enemies there, and now we have to go inside the mountain. So we've captured the exterior of the base. Yep. And there's uh, some big, big blast doors on the side of the mountain that we have to go in. And we didn't run into the big, bad, elite, invisible mech outside, which means we're going to be fighting him indoors. Weird, weird. you got to go into the mountain cave, and that's where the boss is, huh? Yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not entirely <laughs> surprised that that's a thing that's happening. But uh... So I'm glad to hear that you're still enjoying it. Let's move on to the topic for the day. But first, why don't you tell us what we're drinking? Um, I actually whipped up my own personal recipe for Bloody Mary mix today. So we're not drinking anything branded. Oh, you, um, you can't have a speakeasy without a nice cocktail. That's what I was thinking. So I, I uh, went ahead today and, and made up a little bit of a uh, little bit of the Bloody Mary mix. And uh, what's in it? Well, let's see. I uh, started with. Uh, well, I mean, obviously you got vodka in there, but... Uh, Weird. Yeah, I know, right? Um, I put pickle juice in mine. Worcestershire sauce. Um, <laughs> Wait, hold on. One, one more time for the kids at home? Worcestershire sauce. Yeah, I mean, I could stumble through that Ch all day. Cheshire cat sauce. Cheshire cat sauce. 
I'm sure the I'm sure the Brits know how to say it. Okay, it's it's not my problem. I just get it from them. I, I like listening to people argue about well, the proper pronunciation. I, I will intentionally mispronounce it just because I yeah, yeah. don't know I'd be pronouncing it right even if I tried hard. Um, hey, you, you gave it your all. My 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 secret ingredient is is a little bit of A one steak sauce. Actually, mm. I put a dollop of that in there. Yeah, I, I, um, think I can taste it's very uh, pickle and steak sauce. Yeah, there's like I, those flavors come through. It's really yeah, good. A little bit of horseradish. Um, Oh really? Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. A uh, little, mm. just not not a whole lot, just a little bit of horseradish, and then I use celery salt, garlic powder, pepper. Um, let's see if I'm missing anything. The and the garlic, yeah. That's good. And then I did a little bit of um. Uh, on the tip of his tongue. <laughs> uh, buffalo sauce. Oh yeah. Um, can't think of the brand, but um. And then a couple of drops of the uh, Lola Special Reserve went in there, too. Oh, that, that stuff was hot. That is very hot, hot sauce, and it's also kind of expensive. But yeah, we, we actually, you made chili for Lancer. and I, I did, yeah. I, I, made put chili. A, I put a couple drops of that in my third bowl. You and it don't was... need more than a couple of drops to get it done, either. That stuff it, is... It stuff was will... spicy. Yep. But yeah, and then, you know, shake well. <laughs> yes, I did, I did, well. I didn't garnish it for the benefit of the listeners because if you had to listen to me chew on pickles through the entire time that we were doing this, it would be unpleasant for all of us. God, how disappointing is it when you start to drink out of a bottle and then you look down and it says shake well and you didn't do it? <laughs> Does it doesn't that feel awful? Um, I mean, it feels awful, but it's even worse if it's something that actually does require being yeah. shaken well Ooh. because... The, the top's not going to taste right, and the bottom's probably going to be thicker than you want, so you're going to ruin the taste and the texture. It feels anymore. like you've ruined the whole experience. I agree. So now let's talk about, let's talk about uh, not ruining the whole experience. <laughs> Today's open topic is about uh, who... Lance, I'm going to just ask you. You said it earlier uh, that you said tabletop games are for everybody. Yep. Yeah, what do you mean? I, uh, I think that, that it is the kind of thing... There, there's an, a wide enough variety of games that I think that literally anybody with the right imagination could get into playing them. There are some people who I think probably would never choose to play it, but I I have taken people, you know, in the, the long number of years that I've game mastered, people that you wouldn't think would be into tabletop games, and just as easy as any of the rest of us, they get their teeth into it, and they're like, holy crap, this is a lot of fun. I can't believe I've never done this before. Oh, yeah. If, if a person... <clears throat> So many people, as children, have ever, if you've ever made believe as a kid, you know, pretended to mm -hmm. be a knight or anything like that, or pretended to be a police officer, maybe you, you, you and your, your five-year-old buds got together and you pretended to navigate a mission to the moon. If you've ever made believe, this is kind of like the ad advanced adult yeah, form of that, right? My friends used to play guns with sticks. Yeah, yeah, you just cow, <laughs> we cow, kids, you know, like you played like army with sticks. Cops and robbers, uh -huh. cowboys and bank robbers. Yeah, this is just kind of a, a natural extension of that childlike imagination that you know that you hopefully haven't had beaten out of you by the world, you know, over the years. Yeah, and on the and on the spectrum because it's like you've got us playing make believe with our tabletop games, but you know, we also incorporate miniatures. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a G.I. Joe or two growing up. Oh, I had yeah. multiple Power Rangers. And, uh, he Man. Yeah. He, yep. Oh, you, you I, got, got He Man. I was rocking the Masters of the Universe. Toys. Okay. Yeah. Star, the Star Wars figures. You know, you have these little plastic toys, and you you make them. You play out with stories and mm. battles, and that's kind of what we're doing here, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's just that with a, a slightly more rigid rule system. Well, considerably more rigid rule system. Any any rule system is more rigid than just you know beating Joe, G.I. Joe's up. Against My phasers people. blow up your shields. Yeah. No, that's not true. At least in our system, we have to roll for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. You got to roll for it, kid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I agree that that tabletop games are for anyone who has even a faint, fleeting interest. 
whether that be because you've just heard about it and it seems like something you'd be interested in, or because you have friends and they're inviting you to play. Mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't seem like something you'd be interested in, uh, I've had people from work that played D&D with us uh, where it's not something they ever thought they would like, but then they came away and, and said, wow, that was really fun. Are we doing this again next week? <laughs> yeah. Right? It's, it is it is the kind of thing that, that most people, in my experience, even, even if they've got this image in their head of what it is and it doesn't sound interesting to them, the second that you sit them down at a table and you actually get them rolling the dice, because, I mean, it, it appeals to so many different factors. You know, the imagination, but it's also got the game mechanics to it. If you're the kind of person that likes to play any game that requires dice rolling. Yeah, yeah, this you, is just a variation on that. You're it's rolling not a dice big leap to, to get people like, you got people that play Settlers of Catan. Yeah, oh yeah. Ticket Monopoly to Ride, and, stuff like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, Ticket to Ride, mm -hmm. among others. And then you you sit them down and it's like, oh, you just play one guy. And oh, what, yeah. a, what do I do? Then there's always this fun moment where they say, what can I do? <laughs> and, and then and then you turn to them and you say, whatever you can think of within reason. Yeah. Just describe Shady. to the referee. Oh, here's a fun fact. Um, I just learned this actually recently. And you, we've talked before about how other systems refer to, you know, there's the dungeon master in mm -hmm. D&D or game master, the, the marshal. Uh, did you know that wizards, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but wizards owns dungeon master. Oh, do they? Yeah, they straight up own Dungeon Master. Huh. Yeah, so that, that that's another reason why you so, don't use it for your game, because Wizards owns yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> does, does Paizo use Dungeon Master? No, I think they use Game Master. Okay. I'm pretty sure I, they use I Game Master. I honestly don't remember. Uh, I mean, if they do, they better be paying royalties, well, right? I, but I don't know if that was part of because didn't, didn't they have to pay for the 3.5 system? I, I'm going to be honest, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I guess I assume that Pathfinder being built on... the. 3.5, they well, probably had to pay some licensing fees for it, and I'm wondering if... A lot of that comes through with the open gaming license mm -hmm. that Wizards keeps, which yeah. everyone uses, where a certain number of things in their systems are just open, open for people to use. People to use. Okay. You, can't, you can't use beholders in your system, but you can use advantage, I think, is, is certain things certain like that. Stuff like that. I, I don't know if that is an exactly true example. Well, I know you can't. I know the beholder example is true, mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know about... I don't know if advantage is allowed okay. in your system or not, but it's just an example. Uh, digressing back, uh, you've got these people that are, you know, you've, you usually sit that person next to the, the most helpful person in your most group, Most experienced right? person yeah. in the group, somebody who knows how to run the system. There's people in my own group that sometimes forget how to run their own characters, and you know what? That's fine, but that's not that's not the person I'm going to sit the newbie next to. Yeah, right? no, for sure. I'm going to put them in between you and Jared. Yeah, usually. Uh, I've got people that have played D, &D uh, in a group where i was a player uh, a buddy of mine from work you know the he's a real you know watches baseball not not he's atypical for tabletop games and the terms it's not the person you would expect to see around right. a, a, yeah. a D, &D table or exactly a and he comes in he he comes in and he plays with us and he has so much fun he played a barbarian had, a oh, abs had an about. absolute <laughs> blast with it uh, and this this entire group of people, there were like six or seven of us, and I'd show up, and all of them would be talking about March Madness, and I'm the one that's lost. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know well, jack about sports. I know, I'm pretty sure this is how we lured you in, too, but I mean, it used to be at work, we would be talking about these game sessions. Yeah. And we've had it where people, you know, obviously we're not working there anymore, but, well, I'm not working there anymore, but where we would, we would be talking 
you know, to each other about the game session the night before, the week before, whatever. Yeah. And other people would be overhearing it, and then they'd start asking questions. And, you know, if we had a spot at the table, I was always open. Hey, man, you know, if you can make it on Thursday night or whatever, come over and give it a try. You know, I'll walk you through it. If you hate it, you don't have to do it anymore. And if you like it, you know, you'll learn something new. So what do tabletop games mean to you, Lance? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is a loaded question. I mean, I wouldn't have been doing it this many years if I wasn't enjoying it. Um... I think it it really, for me at least, and and I know that there are a lot of people that play these games online. Yep. And I have very, that 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 holds very little appeal to me because part of this is kind of my poker night. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's that night to get together with friends around a table in person because we're all adults and we all have our jobs and we all have these things we have to do. And as much as we'd like to, you know, like back in high school when you could just hang out with your friends all the time, we just don't have that option. Right. So the fact that we can get together and sit down and do something that we all enjoy, because I'm kind of like you, I'm not a big sports fan. I can't really get on board getting around a table and screaming at a, a team full of people that I've never met in my life. And it's a lot more fun live. <laughs> well, no, I, I've been to live sport, sporting events, and that's that no, much I, more appealing. But I understand it, your point. There. I don't get emotionally invested in a 300-pound lineman who I've never personally met in my entire life. It's right. just not, that's not me. It's not to say that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not how I'm wired. Ain't our cup of tea. Exactly. So, you know. In, in the same way that some people might not get as invested into tabletop games. Oh, yeah, for But sure. I bet they still enjoy it. I, most people do. Like I said, my experience about everybody that I've ever brought to the table had a good time. I mean, me and Dan, like, when we were in high school, we'd bring the girls we were dating and sucker them into gaming with us. They all had fun doing it. I've had some of them that have, you know, that I've, I've talked to since then that have just said, man, you remember we used to play Shadowrun? That was a whole lot of fun. You know, they, oh, yeah. they s- still talk about it to this day. And, and it's very, uh, very memorable because when you are doing that the the part of your brain that remembers the long-term memories uh it's it's recording not what you wore that night or what you snacked on or who all made it or maybe maybe not who what you don't might not even remember what time of the year that session took place in but you remember what you imagined yeah you you remember the, the images in your head as they played out as the gm described them Two, two, three years ago, the session where we were standing at the precipice of the pit of hell in Deadlands. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what I wore that night. I don't remember even how old I was. But I remember thinking of the imagery of Flick standing at the edge of the pit and lighting, lighting up that a cigarette. Lighting That's up a exactly cigarette. what I was going to say. And we're all mad about it because he's not helping, but he's out of movement. So what's he going to do anyway, right? <laughs> That's true. He couldn't, he couldn't make it any closer to us. The rest of the party had kind of beaten him to the, the, the hell pit. And, yeah, he just sparks up a cigarette and watches. Are you thankful for tabletop games and their role in your life? Yes, absolutely. For some people like you and me, tabletop games hold a very profound place, right? Mm-hmm. It's It represents not just our poker night, but it has helped shape us into who we are today. That's why we are here hosting this podcast, <laughs> yeah, talking yeah, about it, sure. right? Yeah, I mean... I don't know what I would have done with the countless hours that I have pumped into gaming if I hadn't pumped them into gaming. Right. That's, I mean, uh, the time game mastering, the amount of, just the amount of reading, the volumes and volumes of reading that I've done to get through some of these books, to learn the rule sets, when I was game mastering, to learn all the, the dirty, dark little secrets. I mean, Deadlands being an especially cool one because... Yes, Deadlands is full of secrets. Well, and their books are all, like, broken down into the, the player section. There's a section that is... Four players if the GM determines that you can read it, which right. is usually like, class mechanics. You can read about junkers if you're going to play right. a junker. Exactly. And then there's the martial section where players are just forbidden from going in there. And that's where all the dirty, dark little secrets of the game 
reside, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff. Because when you're reading through the player section, a lot of it is speculation. Because most of it's done in that like tombstone epitaph yeah. style, where it's a journalist writing about these events second or third hand that they've heard about. And as you're going through that section, you get to go back into the the Marshall section at the back of the book, and then it tells you exactly what's really happening and sometimes it says it was reported and sometimes the reporters were completely wrong so what the players believe for that particular that particular incident or monster or or thing is just completely wrong because the player section is literally lying to them and that's why because you know like i said for some for many people tabletop games is uh, fulfilling Uh, it fills a great hole in their heart and that's why a lot of people game master because the people that like to game master are the ones that like to know everything. They like to know uh, the whole going on of the story, to be plucking at the strings, to have an idea of everything that's going on behind the curtain. They want to be the man behind the curtain. Well, and I mean, in that position, you are... What your role is, is somewhere in there, is either shaping or completely creating a world. Yeah, you're both referee and narrator. Yeah, I mean, because you know, if you're playing Deadlands and you're playing the setting as it's written, you're still, you know, curating that world as it goes. Or if you're doing, you know, what Cody is doing with his his campaign in Pathfinder, he's literally world building. He's, you know, he's, he's building a setting around that rule system. It is very enjoyable to build a setting from the ground up. You know, even if you're not going to publish it, if, mm-hmm. if you're just using it for your home game, it's very, f- very engaging. Yeah. Very it's... fun to say, oh, these are the gods. This is how magic works. This is what happened to the king in the year 233. It's a very good creative outlet. And I mean, even on a smaller level, just playing a character can be a really good creative outlet. Oh, too, yeah. Because you're building not only a character's backstory, but as you're playing through the game, you're making decisions for this character based on how you think they would react based on that backstory. Oh, yes. Or based on the new data that's come about. You know, Aram, for example, when you threw the, uh, the his Aladrin love interest into the campaign, well, that changed his entire dynamic because now he has... Well, I mean, now he's got a family to protect because, oops, he uh, kind of knocked her up. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Uh, so we've got... Uh, so you've got that situ- all these narrative arcs, right, mm-hmm. that, that kind of scratch that itch of drama of interesting story progressing but also in the same vein so i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna go back and talk talk a little bit more about what it means to me uh for me being the game master or even just being involved in tabletop games fulfills a very uh creative itch that i need to scratch you know i think it was back in my junior or senior year of high school was the first time that I got involved in any sort of theatrical stage production. I joined a couple of the school plays. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that so much. Improv, and, improv is fun. I oh, yeah, yeah, you've, high, yeah I, you've done improv. I, I, I took, I took drama, cla- drama class or two in high school. Yeah, and, and both, both like scripted theater and improv, uh, tabletop games kinds of meets, kind, it meets somewhere in the middle, yeah, right? Does. And scratches kind of both of those itches. And there is a point as a high schooler many, many years ago where I enjoyed that acting thing that I did so much that I even had that fanciful idea. Lots of people get, and you're like, maybe I should move out to California. This seems like something (laughs) I would actually enjoy doing. I have always in the back of my head thought that I would actually enjoy being a part of any sort of like TV show or movie, just acting in general or being a voice actor is also something that I thought that I would really enjoy. And 
being a part of a tabletop group scratches that itch. You know, you don't go move away to California because either you're too afraid of failure, like I used to be, or because, you know, that just doesn't seem like... Well, for me, it was number one. I I thought there was... Well, there's no way I'm going to move out there and be successful. I'm going to be that... California is a very explosive place to fail. I mean, if you move out there and you fail, you're not just broke, you're like turbo broke. Right, but still, you know, I I also give it up to the people that chase their dreams Mm -hmm. and they can live with less regrets. You know, who knows? But I also know that playing tabletop games, getting involved with them, has led to the group of friends I have today, mm-hmm. the experiences I've shared, the bro- I feel like my mind has been broadened. Mm-hmm. But in that same vein, uh, the guy that came to uh, tabletop game, he played 5e with us, and he was there playing the Barbarian, I don't think that he had the same experience I did. And that is also okay. For him, it was just a way to hang out with friends. And that's all. That's also all what it needs to be. Well, and you know, to, to the to the friendship point, I have actually gained a lot of friends from tabletop games. Oh yes, because you will pick people who you're kind of acquaintances with, or, or maybe like really low tier friends, I guess. Like you don't hang out, but you know them, and you can have decent conversations with them. And then suddenly you invite them over, and the next thing you know, you're seeing them every single week, and you really get to know them. Next thing you know, you're uh, you know you're a part of their wedding party. You know oh yeah, I mean? like, yeah, you're they... part of their wedding party. <laughs> you're part of another one's wedding mm-hmm. party. You're going on vacations or day trips together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, it becomes a real close bond because it feels like you kind of really have gone in, on an adventure with someone. Well, and see, and that I think, I think everybody has their escapes from reality. Oh, oh so, of course. Some people, you know, some people their escape from reality is binge watching Tiger King. <laughs> hey, uh, don't you don't, no, don't you dare shoot no, on Tiger I, King. Listen, I, we watched that in three <laughs> sittings, me and the wife. So yes, I get it. But you know, some people it's video games. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I partake oh, in all God. of these things in different measures. But I would say honestly, the amount of the amount of World of Warcraft you and I have played oh, together. Oh, talk about it. <laughs> um, but I, I think personally, and, and and obviously this is just my opinion, but I think that if you want like the most engaging escape from reality i think tabletop gaming is it because video games for what they are even the most open world games have usually have a pretty linear story arc to them you are still constrained by what uh-huh. the developers have allowed have you made, to do right yeah. whereas with a tabletop game i mean we've said this a lot of times when when somebody at the table will ask if their character can do something incredibly stupid Mm-hmm. You can do anything in a tabletop game once. <laughs> yeah, you can. You might not do it once. successfully, but you can attempt anything one time if you want to. That's right. I mean, so you know, when when it comes to those games, I think that they're open enough, especially if you have a GM that's not not trying to keep you on rails, where you can completely change the direction of the campaign. You just got to make sure you give your GM a little time to adjust to what you just did. And, but and that you know what, I want to actually touch on that note to any potential game masters or game masters that are listening. If you're if you have stuff prepped and your group says, "Well, no, we really want to go off the beaten trail and see what's off to the west." It's okay to stop the session early and say, "All right, I'm I, not I'm not ready for this, yeah. but I'm going to get ready for this cuz it's what you guys want to do." Yep. And the thing is, keep a file folder on your computer of content that you never ran because you might run another campaign later. And you can pull that right out of the files and put it in and be like, okay, well, now I don't have to prepare for the next two sessions because I've already gotten this stuff ready and we never used it before. Yes, recycled Well, yeah, recycled content is a, is a way to reduce your prep load, essentially. I have still got 
Deadlands content that I've never used, that really? I put together for campaigns that we have run, and that for whatever reason we didn't end up running that that particular adventure or whatever. And <laughs> um, and I have I've just never used it. And there's a, a very real possibility that sometime in the future, if I decide to run another Deadlands campaign, that I'll drag that right out of the old file folder and, and slip it into the campaign just because it's one it's already done two if i wanted to do it that time it was probably what i felt was a good idea even if it's going to take a little adaptation or if i read it and i'm like well this was kind of stupid at the time but i can use some <laughs> sometimes sometimes you, sometimes the only thing you can use is the bones because sometimes in hindsight when you make an adventure and then you go back and read it after the fact you're like yeah this wasn't as cool as i thought it was when i did it but the bones are still there and there's there's something in that file folder something in that document you can put fresh meat on those that bones. you can put fresh meat on that you can turn it into something so yeah i mean as cody said don't hesitate to scrap a you know a a a bit of prep work to let your players go do what they want to do because that's the open world nature of these kind of games is it allows you to do things that even the most brilliant of open world video games won't allow you to do or can't allow you to do so enjoy that <laughs> yes relish it as much as you can that is that is another excellent thing that you can gain from tabletop games that other hobbies can't necessarily offer mm-hmm, sure. and that's one thing that keeps me coming back uh, another is you guys, my my players. Mm-hmm. Uh, you all keep to be seeming interested in what I'm writing, so I feel like I have cultivated a belief in my ability to help shape your stories. Oh, for sure. Because I feel like... Uh, You've always done a really good job of making sure that all of us get our 15 minutes, too. Oh, stop it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I do. I try to make sure that uh, all the players get their chance in the limelight if they want it. But uh, it's very rewarding when you guys engage with the lore of the world mm-hmm. when you guys start asking questions about things that's that's some of my favorite <laughs> moments or or when the light bulb goes on over a certain certain players heads and they just tear through their turn real efficiently and i'm super impressed yeah. that they learned the mechanics also a lot of fun because you can see the pride in that person's yeah, face and it makes me it makes i don't know what i don't know what being a dad is like but i imagine <laughs> that's kind of like what that feels like and to a you know, lesser degree a point of pride, <laughs> but yeah, uh, whether whether you are gaining uh, great and deep emotional fulfillment out of tabletop games, or whether it's just a way to fill that social itch of this world where we are often attached to our electronical devices, uh, where you can hang out with your friends, uh, tabletop games, like you said, has something to offer for anyone yep, who is even remotely interested in yeah if, if 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 you're listening to this podcast and if you never played a tabletop game and you've just been kicking it around and, and you thought well maybe maybe not yada 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 you know if you know somebody that's that's running a game that would let you in give it a try yeah just say hey listen i've never done this before i don't know if i'm going to like it but what are the chances that i can you know come in and play a single session or a couple of sessions i mean a lot of times if you got a friend that's a gm you know they might even write you into the, the campaign for as a as a uh, player-controlled NPC, essentially, like a here comes the guest star. Yeah, exactly. You know, your guest player that that becomes embroiled in this campaign for a couple of sessions, and that might be what you need to do to know whether or not you're going to like it. I would say more often than not, you are going to enjoy enjoy it because almost everybody that I've introduced to it has enjoyed it. Sorry, I'm just picturing like the Batman episode of Scooby Doo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more Batman yeah, guest stars. Scooby Doo's always got the weird guest yeah. stars. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean that's that's not too far from it's, the truth. It really but, isn't. You know, you might find that you enjoy it, and if you enjoy it, you know, 
a lot of times if you enjoy it and you can't find anybody else to play with, sometimes that means that you're going to have to GM by default because here's here's a little secret. It is a lot easier to find players than it is to find a game master. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, play people people willing to sit down and roll dice and blow stuff up with a character are a dime a dozen. I mean... Absolutely. Yeah, you know, people that are willing to sit down and put in the time as, as a GM is... Uh, it's a little more rare of a trait, so sometimes you might have to pick up that role if you're interested. That's honestly how I ended up game mastering for as long as I did. And your mileage—I was going to say—your mileage might vary, but game mastering does not nearly have to be as much prep work as it sounds. I, there, I spent most of my years doing far more prep work than I needed to. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's—but I mean, it is still prep work. But I mean, if you enjoy world building, it's a really good job to have. Oh yes, yes. You know, as a GM, I, I used to I used to laugh to myself when I was putting together a campaign and I'd come up with some clever NPC or some clever idea, or especially in Deadlands when you're trying to get a horror vibe in there. When you think of some trying really to keep, trying to keep that dark, tone. really great way to keep up the tension with the players, you know, and, and you get that light bulb moment where this is perfect. You know, you you can sit in front of your computer and just laugh about the things that are about to happen. Have you done that? Have you literally laughed? Yes, I have literally <laughs> laughed. I can imagine you cackling with there, There's really two the future events two deadlines moments kind of specifically. Um there was the trapping the party up in the Rocky Mountains. I thought that was a pretty clever like way to run things is getting oh, yeah. stuck up there with no food and well, I mean yeah, they had water, they could melt snow, but um and then there was another one. I don't remember if you were I don't think you were playing for this. You might not have even was been it, gaming was it with post Beasley. Was, was I it? don't remember where in the All campaign right. it was, but basically I stuck them out in this um, this inn that was like very very isolated, uh-huh. and there were these creatures out at night, and they couldn't they couldn't get out. Like anybody that tried to leave the the hotel. Right. Ended up getting spiked with these like um, ice lances from this. Uh, I feel like I was a. Part you might of have that. been a part of that. I remember those. I mean, jerks. Yeah. So and like anybody that tried to leave, so you had this entire group of both the players and a bunch of civilian NPCs in there freaking out because they couldn't leave. And of course, it was one of those kind of movie esque moments where you know when you get a bunch of people isolated in a horror scenario where yeah, it's everybody's like kind a, of freaking out, like that movie The Mist. Yeah, very, very, yeah. very reminiscent of a similar situation. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot like that. And I, when I first came up with that idea of locking them in there, I, I cackled a lot because I knew the players <laughs> of all people would resist being stuck in that place. Oh yeah, and a couple. That's... I think I think it was probably Dan again because he's usually the guy that does it. Ended up going outside and I. Didn't kill him, but I beat him up quite a bit before. He's like, well, I'm going to go back inside. because yeah. You ice, have the option those, of leaving yeah, if those, you really want. Those ice spines started coming out of the shadows and just wrecking him. And he's like, well, no, this is, this is not how I'm getting out of here. And these are all memorable moments. Memories yep. with your friends that you have shared, year, that you're remembering years later. Yeah, no, the, the memories from tabletop gaming are, are one of my favorite things to reminisce about. To go yeah. I can talk about those stories. There's there's few things, there's a few different things that we can, during the summer months, we sit around our campfires and talk about, and like, sometimes we, it's, it's complaining about work, uh, or and then a lot of the other times, it's talking about game tabletop stories. memories, yep. game stories, uh, whether they be from systems we have recently played or ones that we touched on years ago. Mm-hmm. And it is just a, a really enjoyable bonding experience. It and is. I would not trade it for uh, an acting career. I, 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 I enjoy this. <laughs> I, I want to be continuing with this. And as so long as I live, my players and I are going to keep playing tabletop games even if i keep bouncing them around system to system because i I like to do that i can't think of a better 
use of those hours. When I look back, you'll reminisce about the, my, my time gaming. I can't think, I, like, there's there's no point where I think, man, I could have much better spent those hours doing X. There's just, there's nothing. It's like, that is kind of it. I, I, I'm glad to have those memories, and I wouldn't trade them for anything. That is wholesome as heck, and I am glad to know it. Alright, Killzog says it's last call, but if you have the ability to leave us a comment, why don't you let us know what tabletop gaming means to you? Uh, what You can reach us by sending us an email as well at gmspeakeasyofficial.com. Tell us what the what your thoughts, feelings on this episode are. If you agree, maybe you disagree. Uh, you can find the record button group on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, leave a comments down below if you're watching on YouTube. And please get home safe.